0: Alrighty, so this morning I'm going to be talking to you about Solomon's Temple. Everybody say, Solomon's Temple. Solomon's. And it's one of the temples, one of the dwelling places of God in the earth. If, just to help you, you know, we're talking about the dwelling places of God in the earth. There's actually seven of them in the Bible, starting at the place called Bethel, which was one stone, that's what it was. It was the house of God, it was the gateway to heaven. It was an anointed place. Then you had the Tabernacle of Moses which was uh, like a mobile home kind of deal that uh, the children of Israel built for God while they were traveling in the in the wilderness. God was living in a mobile home. So anybody ever live in a mobile home or live in one, just praise the Lord. God lived in one, too. Amen. Uh, then the third one, which is my all-time favorite, is the Tabernacle of David, which I could talk about that for uh, a long time, but I'm making myself move on here. That was just a simple tent but really, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just a place. It was a lifestyle that God was trying to bring, draw people into. Then there's the Solomon's Temple, which that's what we're going to talk about. This morning, which is, it was was a really a really beautiful building, and it was really one of the places where the glory of God fell in such a magnificent way that people could not even stay in there. They had to get out because the power and glory of God got so manifest in there. That's the dream, right? I mean, that's the dream for church—that God comes, and we can't even get in the building. Wouldn't you love that one Sunday? You can't go in there. God is so in there, you feel like you're going to die if you go in there. Crawl in there real low to the ground. That would be the about the that would be the great time. One time Arthur Burt told this story. All right, let me tell you this. This is great. He was pastor of church in his younger days. Can you imagine Arthur Burt as a pastor? If you never. You know, Arthur's 100 years old now. But he was passing this church. And in this church, there was these two girls that never... They all, always sit on the back row, and they pass notes back and forth to each other constantly. And he was just infuriated at these girls because they never paid attention. They were distracting. And uh, But eventually, Arthur left the church and because he because those girls just drove him, drove him away. <laughs> and he... In, the, you know, a couple, two or three years down the road, Arthur heard that there was a revival in this church. Well, he was like, totally no way there's a revival in this church. God is not moving in this church. He can't be. But he decided to go and see. And he went into the church, and he said when he got to the steps leading into the church, it was, somebody opened the door, and the power of God just swooped out the door. And so he gingerly went into the church, and to his absolute shock and absolute Horror, those two girls were walking around prophesying. The power of God was on these two girls, and they were walking around with their eyes closed, prophesying. And they would walk towards a person, and they would reveal the secrets of this person's heart. Okay, and Arthur said one of them started walking towards him. So he moved. <laughs> And, you know, she was walking around with her eyes closed. She didn't know. She like, walking this way. And all of a sudden, Arthur moves over here. She moves over there. And he realized at that moment that God had, had his number. Isn't that a good day when God has your number? The pastor of the church was hiding under the piano. <laughs> Shivering before the Lord. But that's really the dream, you yeah, know. Because when God gets your number, that's a good day. It's not a bad day. Everybody, you know, everybody makes it into a bad day. But that's not what the Bible makes it into. He makes it into a good day when He comes. And so praise the Lord, Lord, come like that, and come like that, and get our numbers, Lord. Come and just, uh, just like what we were singing, Lord, open up our hearts, you know. And we're opening our hearts, Lord. Your heart's open to us, and something profound would happen in our life that we would never be the same again. Amen? Amen. Anyways, that was the Lord coming into Solomon's temple. Uh, I want to read this one script. Okay, wait a minute. Let me finish telling you. All right, so that was the third one, Solomon's temple, right? Fourth one, right? One, two, three, four, yeah. Then there was the rebuilt temple. That was the next one. Because Solomon's temple was destroyed when Jerusalem was overrun by Nebuchadnezzar 560 B.C.? 586 BC. Dean knows these, these things. This is important. However, was it 400 years or 5 to 600 years between New Testament and Old Testament? Yeah, it was 400. 513 is <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm thinking it's 400, but that may not be true. Dean says it's 5 to 600, but I always probably closer to
1: five, but maybe i I'm not
0: the expert. He's not the expert. Did y'all hear that? Dean Stein has finally... Come. I think God has exposed his heart. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Jesus. They had to rebuild a temple. And there are some fascinating things about that temple. But the great temple is the Lord Himself. Yeah, yeah. That's the great temple. Okay? Now, I had to be careful how I say this. But it's not the greatest temple, according to the Lord. The greatest temple... Is the temple, the New Jerusalem, the body of Christ, that comes into the earth it's us, and he's made it that way, although you kind of feel like, am I saying this right Lord I' want to make sure I'm, I'm not trying to elevate myself and ourselves above you, but that's what he has ordained because it's his bride, it's his body, and I think most men in this room, if you were a wise man, you would say, I married up, right
1: <laughs>
0: well, Come on, if y'all don't think y'all I hope your wife beats you when you get home. (laughs) You married up. I promise you, you did. I did. I mean, that's just a fact of life. There's no questions or arguments over that one. That's been been a (laughs) stat. Jesus feels that way. He feels like He's marrying up to us. Amen. That's He. And you know what? True faith is saying what He says. So, (laughs) Anyways, let me read this one verse out of... uh, it's Acts 7. If you ever want to know a very concise and awesome uh, view of the Old Testament, the main points starting with Abraham and going through um, uh, the t- rebuilt temple, uh, Acts 7 gives you that. Acts 7 is one. It's like it's condensed version, like uh, you know, not even Cliff Notes version. It's even more condensed than that. But it gives you a great view of the Old Testament, and actually tells you some stuff in there that's hard to extrapolate out of the Old Testament about Abraham. It kind of puts some things together about, oh, that's what was going on with Abraham. But it it goes down through Abraham, Moses, Joshua, uh, David, Solomon. And this is where it picks up about Solomon, verse 47. He says, but Solomon built him a house. Solomon built this temple, okay? However, and this is what the New Testament says about this house, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me? Says the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? So you're like, okay, why did you build the house then? He built it for us. Okay, now listen. This is really key. Uh David had brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, into Mount Zion, and had it in there. And it says in 1 Chronicles 17 that David had built him a nice home, himself a nice home. Okay? And he, one day, I'm just imagining David, after he got his house built, got settled in, you know, his nice cedar home. It smelled good. It looked good. It was beautiful. And he looked out the window and he saw the tent in the backyard of his house. And in the tent was the Ark of the Covenant, and it smote his heart. And he said, and he called for Nathan the prophet and says, I'm living in this beautiful cedar home, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is in this tent. And Nathan said to David, Nathan the prophet, well, do whatever's in your heart. But then later, the Lord spoke to Nathan, and and he went to David. This is First Chronicles 17, where you can get most of this. He went to David and said, David you're not to build a house for the Lord. Your son's going to build a house. Now, this is real prophetic. Your son's going to build a house. The Lord's going to build a house for you. That's what God wants. It's a much greater revelation. Well, in the natural, well, spiritually, we know that son was Christ himself, that Christ was going to build the house, okay? God allowed Solomon to build this house. David made plans for this house. David made provision for this house, but Solomon built it. The Bible says that god that David found favor in the, in the eyes of the Lord. okay It said he found favor in the eyes of the Lord because David had this and, and God gave him a heart for the dwelling place of god okay that's what the bible says it, um it says there's actually in Acts 7:46, which I failed to give them. It says, David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. David asked that. Lord, may I find a, a dwelling place for you? Now, God is saying that's favor on a person. Uh, if you'll remember, I talked to you about, uh, when we talked about saw uh, the Moses' tabernacle in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You see, it's always been God's heart to live with man. Okay? And so David had this heart to provide a place for God to live with us. And, you know, this is really powerful, this uh, Isaiah seven fourteen: The virgin shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, that God, God named himself what his heart was. Emmanuel means God is with us. God's name, the way what He named Himself communicated His heart to mankind. That I want to be with you, okay. And all these dwelling places that in the Old Testament are reflections; they're shadows of what God desires to do with man. Is I want to live with you. I don't, you know. I've got heaven. I've got everything. That's my house. You can't build anything for me ultimately, but you can build something for yourself. You can't have a heart. Okay, You can have a heart for me and a place for me. So I'll let you in the old covenant, I'll let you build a physical building where I may dwell with you and be with you. That's profound, isn't it? And so I believe the Lord really wants to give all of us that favor that David had, that we have that heart for a dwelling place of God in the earth, that that's our heart. You know, I told you how I got on this thing as I was watching... That show, House Hunters, <laughs> that's Becky's show. You had to divide that between football and House Hunters. That's how it works. And if she don't get House Hunters, I don't get football. So you know, watch some House Hunters. We'll be happy with House Hunters. That one show I was watching and these people were looking at this beautiful home. And like I say, this is not an against a beautiful home. It, The desire for a home is from heaven. God put that desire in us to have a home. But I was looking at that, and just for a moment, just for a moment in time, it's like suddenly I saw that God has this, this desire for a home Himself. And how much greater is His home than anything on this earth? Everything, the most beautiful, great home that we could have on this earth is pales in comparison to His home. And He's looking for people not to reject the homes on the earth, in your nice homes, whatever you got, or if you just got a mobile home, not to reject those things, but to embrace his house, to embrace his heart, the dwelling place of God. That's what he's really trying to do in all this thing in the Old Testament. All these pictures he's given is trying to find a people like he found in David that have a heart for what he has a heart for a resting place of God in the earth, a place where the presence of God can literally live and dwell and be manifested. Yeah. That's favor from God. When you find yourself with that heart, you know that's a gift from God. And I'm praying, Lord, if nothing else, we walk out of here one day and we have that heart in us, that that becomes the driving desire of our lives, a dwelling place for the Lord, that that's what's important. All these other things are secondary to that. Everything else is behind that. Are you all okay? All righty. Thank you, Lord. And I also thought this this morning. I was thinking about maybe the ultimate definition of a worshipper, of a real worshipper. The ultimate definition, maybe. And I don't know. I'm still working on this. Is a person who has that heart for the dwelling place of God. Now think about that for a minute. Maybe that's God. Maybe that will be the ultimate definition of what a real worshipper is, because that's the people the Father's seeking. It's worshipers. He's seeking these people who have this, this heart. And I've been really asking the Lord. It's not about music, it's not about songs. Those are important, obviously. You know, David was the ultimate worshiper in the Bible, right? Bar none. And, and the Lord said he had a heart after me, he had a heart like I have. And, and I've wondered about this thing about worship for a long time in my life, for years in my life. And more, the more I go, the more I go, it has something to do with God Himself. Not what we do, but just having a heart that is in alignment with His heart. That's worship, I think. Anyways, we're going to get you all there on the worship thing i'm getting there it's a journey this is a journey i believe I, this is what i really believe i've come to this conclusion in my life in the last little while that my ultimate 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 identity is a worshiper yeah. 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 that that is my truest and highest identity yeah. is is worshiper yeah. Yeah. i don't really understand that but i really in my heart feel like that's really the thing and I feel like that's what David was. That was his ultimate, ultimate identity. He was the worshiper. All right, now, I've got you all primed up, or I've got you all drained down. <laughs> oh, don't you? Thank you, Lord. All right, now, let's read this in First Kings 8, 27 through 30. Okay, this is when uh, Solomon was dedicating the temple. Now, David died. David provided everything for the temple. He was dead now. Solomon was a new king. And he built this temple according to the plans that David had made, according to the provision that David had made. It's amazing when you go back and study, uh, David possibly, possibly, now I don't really know because I'm not a really smart numbers guy, but he possibly gave up to one billion dollars of his own personal money, not the kingdom's money, not the, the Israel as a nation's money, but his own personal money that he had accumulated to help build this temple. That's amazing, isn't it? We're talking billion based on what they said he gave from from his own, you know, bank accounts into what would be kind of the worth in modern terms you, you know what i'm saying so it'd be interesting somebody to go back and really do that i'm sure some person has but uh anyway so solomon and, and another thing that was fascinating to me about this, david even developed a maintenance plan for the building like not only did he provide the build it the design of it how to get it built he developed down to all uh, right we know in five years you're going to have to replace these parts. Here's how you replace them. Here's the money to replace them. He already had all of that. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me that that man had that kind of heart, a long-term vision for the house of God, down to make sure this thing's kept up and it's not run down and, and falls into disrepair. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? I'm picking up on what... uh You know, James, not James, but Stephen said, Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built, yet regard the prayer of your servant in his supplication. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open towards this temple night and day, towards the place which you said, My name shall be there. And that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. And when they pray towards this place, hear in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now, so I'm going to tell you just a few little things real quick that I got out of that. Number one, this is one thing the Lord wants us to know about his house. It's a house of prayer. Okay, it's a house of prayer. Jesus said that himself. Uh, Mark eleven seventeen. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, that brings a lot of thoughts to people's minds, I'm sure. Because we all have thoughts about prayer or, or not. It might be kind of boring to you, but it, that's what Jesus said. So, here's the thing I'm seeing in this. Number one. He said that your eyes may be opened towards this place. It's called there's a there's a thing in the Bible called uh the Lord Sees. Okay? The Lord sees. That's El Roy. This is a very interesting name. The Lord sees. And this is what's interesting about it. do y'all remember Hagar? You remember Hagar was a servant of Abraham and Sarah? And Sarah couldn't have any babies, so she concocted this plan. Hey, Abraham, go and do the thing with Hagar so you can have a son. Abraham did this. Hagar gets pregnant, has a baby. His name is Ish what's his name? Ishmael. (laughs) Okay, y'all remember that. The Arab nation's mother is Hagar. Okay? Now this is important. This is out of Genesis 16, if you want to go and read it. This is what happened. Once they did it, suddenly Sarah has a change of heart. Okay? And so she really starts going after Hagar and just bearing down on her. She's mad at her. She's offended at her. She's jealous of her, even though it was her mother of faith. (laughs) You did it. And so Hagar came to the point one day, I just can't take this no more. I'm leaving. I'm running away. So she ran away. The Bible says. And she found herself setting out by this particular place. And the Lord began to speak to her. Okay? And began to ask her, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And she began to tell the Lord why she was here, what was going on in her life, why she felt she was just driven away. And the Lord talked to her and encouraged her and told her to go back. Don't run away. And he began to prophet, the Lord began to speak of Ishmael's future, about how great a man Ishmael would be. Anybody went to the gas station lately? (laughs) His word came true. Okay? But this is what Hagar said, and this is what's really fascinating to me. Hagar named God. It's the only place in the Bible, the only person in the Bible who ever gave God a name the God who sees. Isn't that fascinating? I think it's hugely fascinating. Here's Hagar, really a person that we don't really identify a whole lot with, was able to name the Lord, give the Lord a name. It's amazing the God who sees. You see, you know, most people when they think when a lot of people when they hear the word the God who sees, it's not a pleasant thought to them. Right, because you are afraid of what God sees. You don't like, but see that was not the heart of the Lord. That was not what was happening. The Lord was saying, "No, I see you." Jesus picked up on this himself when he says, "Every hair of your head." That's what he was saying. Every the Father sees everything about you. He knows everything about you. He's watching over your life. He knows the injustices that happen in your life, because the Lord knew that was an injustice. That was going on in Hagar's life. And he was saying, the Lord knows that. He sees that. That's pretty powerful. That's part of what God's the dwelling place of God in the earth. Is There's a God who sees. He sees all your injustices. And there's a lot of injustices in this world. But we have to know the Lord sees every one of them. Every one of them. They don't really get by God. And there comes a day when God will do something about the injustices in our life. Later on in life, later on down the road... Um, Abraham actually threw Hagar out, had to, threw her out. And she winds up in a place, okay, and she was going to die. And she sat down and she wept, okay, she wept. And said, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to have to watch my son die of thirst. And the Lord appeared to her and it says the Lord opened her eyes to see something. And he reminded her, about Ishmael, about what he would be. And he threw in the old, he's a donkey of a man, which everybody knows that's sort of what happens with Ishmael. Isn't that powerful, though? Are y'all getting this? Are you getting that God is seeing into your life? Are you getting that God sees everything about you and He sees the injustices? He sees those things. And when we talk about prayer, that's a big part of what God does is He sees us. He sees our life. He sees everything going on with us. He's not seeing us from a negative perspective. He's seeing us from a heart of love to reach to us. And when he when she gave it, he began to speak destiny over her children's life, her child's life, and gave her directions in her life. That's what it happens when God begins that we realize that God's looking at us. We begin to get destiny. We begin to get revelation over our children. We get revelation of our life. We get direction in our life. And that's why Jesus says, it's a house of prayer. Because God wants to speak destiny to people. He wants to speak direction and encouragement. And when you've run away, He wants to say, no, go back. It's not time for you to leave. And when you do leave, and you're out there, and things are not working, He says, I'm going to open your eyes to see something. That's powerful, isn't it? I think it is. thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah, Lord, thank you. Uh, Psalm 33, uh, 13 and 15. 13 through 15 says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, good and bad. He who forms the hearts of all who considers every, considers everything they do. He who forms every heart considers all in a positive way towards his people. Amen. Amen. All right. The next thing it says, uh, Solomon was saying, Lord, hear, hear my prayer. And uh, everybody wants God to hear their prayer, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, here, let me tell you my little personal experience about hearing the Lord, the Lord hearing my prayer. There's a man in the Bible named Simeon. Everybody know who Simeon is? I think I might have shared a little bit about Simeon one time. Simeon name means God hears. And so Simeon was a man who waited a long time for God to do what he said he was going to do. A long time. He was an old man waiting on him. God had made a promise to Simeon that you're going to see the Messiah. And not only did he see him, he held him. That was pretty good. That was a bonus. Not only did I see the Messiah, I held God in my arms. How many people can say that? Only a few people on the earth could say they literally held God in their arms and looked on his little forehead and kissed him and smelled of his little head and held them close, you know, like you do your grandchildren. You just hold them. You love them. Imagine this man holding God Because he waited a long time for the Lord. And when everybody else was running around doing what they were doing, looking for the Messiah, praying for the Messiah, here's a man holding the Messiah. A lot of Christians miss God because they look for the promise of God in a way that He's not going to come. They've they've defined the promise of God. They've made, this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to work out. And just like He did when Christ came, it was nothing like all the people thought. Isn't that powerful? Anyways, I could tell you more about that, but I want to tell you about my day I had when I came to the end of my prayer. Anybody ever come to the end of their prayer? I think I told you all this one time, but I had a day when I came to the end of my prayers. I had a day where I came to a, it was a point where God, I have prayed every prayer I know to pray, and heaven is as silent as a tomb. There's no answer from God. There's nothing. And I felt despair in my heart, but then this thought came into my mind. What about Romans eight? Romans chapter eight. And I are y'all are y'all with me on this Romans eight. Let's read it. Romans eight twenty six through twenty eight. Reading it in the message Bible because they bring this out so well. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting. Isn't that powerful? God's Spirit is right alongside of us, helping us along. Helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, this is what set me free. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. It doesn't matter. At that moment, it really didn't matter. Because what I had been praying and how I had been praying, it just doesn't matter. God ain't going to answer this prayer anyway. It doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs and aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows, listen to this, our pregnant condition. Paul is trying to say, it's like a woman is nine months, it was two weeks ago. And I ain't having this baby. There's no signs a woman knows about this. A man knows as far as he's getting his brains beat out at home. (laughs) Because she's overdue. And he's like, please, God, do something to get me out of this mess I'm in. Because I can't even say a word without getting chewed out. So I tell all men whose wives are pregnant, you just fly under the radar. You stay real low. Whatever she says is right. No arguments. Just do whatever she says. Don't make any counts. (laughs) Yeah, otherwise, because you're going to get a whipping, boy. (laughs) Listen to this. He knows our praying and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And so at that moment, this thought came to my mind. I know how to do this. I'm going to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to pray in tongues. And I began to pray in the Spirit. I began to pray in tongues. And I prayed hours, not minutes. Now, I'm telling you, I wasn't like by myself the whole time. I was doing my stuff, but I was praying in tongues. And you know what? Things started happening. There was a shift. First, the shift was in me. And that's really where it has to start at. Your answer is inside of you. Something has to happen in us before something's going to happen out here. But stuff started happening out here, too. The things I was at crying out to God for, he began to do something about them. And I think, really, people need to really pray in tongues, is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, that makes a huge difference. And when you don't know how, I've done this in my life. I remember one time when I was a, a younger believer... And I was at the driest place I could possibly. I felt like a dried up old piece of dirty leather. That's the way my, like somebody had wore me on their shoes and wore me out. I was dry. I was dead. I could have cared, you know, everything I said about God was just by faith, except for what I was saying secretly, which was not good. And one day I just decided I'm going to start praying in tongues. And I prayed in tongues for two weeks straight. I mean, not every minute, but for two weeks, no, I didn't pray another prayer, I didn't say another English word to God. And in two weeks, it was like this fountain broke open inside of me. Nothing outside of me. Our church situation didn't change. Our, you know, the, you know, nothing happened in my home. Something happened in me, and suddenly I went from being dry and dead to alive so if you're if you're struggling in your life today, you have the answer in you. it's the Holy Spirit. He knows what you need, not just what you want, and if you will allow him that opportunity to pray, something can really shift in your life inside of you and at and the right time, he will shift the things around you. y'all are just sitting here looking at me like I said last week. What are you supposed to do? look to the wall? <laughs> It just feels weird. All righty. That's, that's a house of prayer. What I've just described to you is what Jesus was talking about that day. My Father's house is a house of prayer. It's not a house of commerce. It's not a house of this. It's not a house of that. It's it's not a house of prayer. It's a house that God sees and that God hears and that God will answer. He will. I can tell you that. It is awesome. All right, now I'm going to go back to First Kings and let tell you the last thing here we're running out of time. Lord, give us an impartation this morning. An impartation. For your house. For your dwelling place in the earth. That that would be the thing for us, Lord. Is your dwelling, your presence, Lord. That's what's important to us. Not all the other stuff, Lord. Everything else is second. right, this is a continuation of, of Solomon's dedication to the temple. He said, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not... Of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake. Isn't that good? For they will hear, they will hear. People will hear when God is in the house. In the New Testament, I think it's Mark 5, the Bible says there's a story about Jesus being in a house. And the Bible says the and it says the Sadducees and the Pharisees were gathered that day. To hear Jesus. And this is what it says. The power of God was present to heal them. Talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. The power of God was present. And there were so many people there that people couldn't get into the house where Jesus was at. And some people took a man. They opened the roof up and lowered a man down in front of Jesus that was on a stretcher. And Jesus healed that man that day. He was, the anointing was for those people there. But it says the power of God was present. See, people came because they felt, they heard that God was in the house. And see, that's really what the church really needs to, instead of trying to attract people through, what we try to attract people through is we attract people through the presence of God. That's what, that's really why we want to attract them. Because if you attract them with good music, guess how you're going to keep them? Good music. And what happens when your electric guitar player breaks his hand? You know? I would rather be feast or famine. We feast because God's here. Well, He's not here. We're just in trouble. Because of ourselves, we have nothing to offer. Are y'all getting that? The power of God was presence. So, they're going to hear... Of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. People will hear that. And that's what Solomon was saying. And when he comes and prays towards this temple, speaking of the foreigner, hear in heaven for your dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all people of the earth may know your name and fear you. This is powerful, isn't it? All people of the earth would know the Lord because they would hear of God, that God was present amongst the people and people could come there and engage God. That's powerful. That you and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. So, um, got 10 more minutes. Are are y'all still good to go? Or you're like, please, let me loose. Please, please. I hate this. One time I was in a meeting when my boss. was back when I was an engineer. And one of these guys went to sleep in this meeting. Ooh, it was terrible. He chewed him out in front of everybody. And I always thought, man, people need to be able to come to church and go to sleep if they want to. <laughs> they shouldn't get chewed out for going to sleep in church. Anyways, praise the Lord. I just thought about that. Here's this thing. I was just glad I didn't go to sleep cuz I really wanted to. <laughs> uh during the second world war there was a woman, there was a family called and their their name was Tin Booms. Okay, Corey Tin Boom. Has anybody ever heard of the book called The Hiding Place? Yeah. I wish this generation I hope this generation of young people tap in cuz we got saved Corey Tin Boom was alive still and speaking to young people and telling of what her family did. The Hiding Place was their home where they provided a hiding place for Jews and for people who were resisting the Nazis. Okay, and eventually, they were found out. And eventually, they went to jail. And eventually, some of them went to concentration camps. And I think the only one left, alive lot of the whole family, was Corey. She lived through it. And she found God. One of the great stories was, when she first got to the... To the uh, concentration camp, they had been on this terrible train ride. It was it was vicious, it was wicked, it was awful. No water, no nothing. And they finally got there, and they all rushed out of the boxcars into this place where these these beautiful, just nice, comfortable looking straw beds. And when they got in there, they realized they sat down and laid on those beds, and lice. It was lice infested, infest, and the lice just jumped on them. I mean, that's how terrible the living condition they were in. But this is what she later realized, is those lice kept the guards out of there. See, she found God in the lice. She found God right in where she was at. She found, you know, that protected them. They could go in there and have a little refuge in there and do praise the Lord and do what they did. And the guards wouldn't go in there because they didn't want to get lice. That's powerful, isn't it? yeah amen and they lived this they were humiliated. This was a woman's camp where they stripped them naked and marched in front of the soldier, the men soldiers, and you know did what they did i mean they it was the most humiliating thing, but the thing that really captured me is that she was able to find God over and over and over and over. And the situation she was in, and see the hand of God, and, and even to the point years later, meeting the guard at the camp in a meeting in, in England, and hating him in his heart, but coming to able to a place to able to forgive that man for what he did to her, what he did to her sister. She, her sister actually died. She was with her sister. Her sister died because she was sick in the concentration camp. Her sister kept her going for a long time spiritually. But eventually her sister died. And she had nobody to keep her going except the Lord himself. She found the Lord. She found the Lord. And so she wrote this book called The Hiding Place. Okay? And it's powerful. It's a powerful book. I would rather, If you haven't read it, read the book. She's got some of the greatest things. She truly is a spiritual hero. Truly is. And would rebuke the fire out of you, right? She rebuked Becky's brother one time. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> Anyways, I, it was at a Jesus concert or something. You know about what they used to do in the seventies. He said something, and she called him out for it. Well, you know, when you're Corey being, you can call anybody out, right? <laughs> but what I, the thing that really what is captured, is the, is this thing that God has His dwelling place, is meant to be a refuge for people. Like their home was a refuge. They were demonstrating a dwelling place of God there. Whether they knew it at the time or not, they were demonstrating a dwelling place of God. And you go through the Scriptures, you will be amazed of what even in cities of Israel, there were cities that were set apart. This city shall be a refuge city. This will be a city people can flee to and be safe. Okay? God has called himself a refuge over and over and over in the Bible. You can come to me, and I will be a refuge for you. You, I'm a safe place for you to be. God always meant for his dwelling place to be that. This is really amazing. I want to just read just a little bit of Psalm 91, right? Psalm 91. Listen, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, that's really important, right? What you say is what you get. Everybody should be saying this. I will say, He is my refuge. I'm going to say that. A lot of times, God doesn't seem to be a refuge for us because we're not saying He's a refuge, we're saying something else about Him. And when you get what you say, that's another story. But here it is. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and Him I will trust. That's a great confession to make. The Lord is my refuge. Uh, surely He shall deliver you. No, this is a shift. No longer saying about me. I'm not saying me. I'm saying you. You can say me. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare, snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you, cover you with His feathers. And under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. This is powerful. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Anybody know about the terror by night? People do know about that. I mean, really know about it. Nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. He's covered every, every part of every day, every hour of every day. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousands at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because, listen to this, because you Have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Isn't that powerful? Now, I know the human mind, because I know my mind. You can sit here and argue point by point by point by point. Yeah, but Lord, what about this? Yeah, but Lord, what about that? Yeah but Lord, what about this? What about that terror that came against me? What about that pestilence that's hit my household? We can argue those, but I'm just telling you, this is what it says. This is what it says, and I believe the key in the whole thing is, I will say of the Lord, I will personally. I am. I can't say it for you. I can say it for me. Lord, you're my refuge. You're my refuge, Lord. I'm making you my refuge. You are, Lord. I say you're my refuge. And because I say you are, you certainly shall be. And God has created, He wants the body of Christ. I believe He wants churches. I believe He wants this church to be a refuge for people, for the foreigner, for people. A refuge. A refuge. God is interested in it. He wants a place where people can come and find Him and find security and find hope and find life. That's what that Solomon was trying to tell people. People are going to hear about the great refuge and they can run to this place and find safety in this place. It's a revelation. It's spiritual. What I'm talking about is really spiritual. It's not natural. It's spiritual. But I believe in the end days... I really believe this with all my heart and all my soul in the end days. There's going to be places of refuge on this earth. There's going to be dwelling places of God where people can go and God will literally hide people. Literally hide them. Where the enemy can't even see them. If the enemy's looking for them, they'll walk into the place and they will not see the person. Because God will hide them. Because they've made the Lord their refuge. Not this world and not you know, the things of this world are not their dreams and not their visions. But they've made the Lord Himself their refuge. God really wants a place like that, Earth. He wants places like that. That's what a dwelling place of God should be. And we say, Lord, this is, this is our dream, this is our vision, this is our goal. This is, we don't feel like we're that. We want to be that, Lord. Yeah. And we invite your presence to come here. We invite that favor that David had in his heart. The favor of God where David said, I want to find a resting place for God. I want to, have, I want to be that. I want to be involved in that. He later said, I, hey, if I can just stand at the door. I, if I can just be at the door. You know, let me just say one more thing. There was another man. His name was Obed-Edom. Y'all remember Obed? By default, he got the presence of God in his house. Okay? For three months of his life. he's And it says says, news got back to David that
1: Obed-Edom
0: was blessed. His house was blessed. His crops were blessed.
1: His cows were blessed. And David was sitting up there, That's my
0: blessing. And that guy's got in on it. And so he went back and said, Obed, i got to take it. Well, Obed, I can just imagine Obed saying, I knew, I knew, I knew you were, David. I knew you were going to come get this thing and take it there. And it rightfully belongs there. But can I ask you one thing? Since I let it stay here, can I go with it? Can I go with it? And not only me, but the whole house and the cousins, and the aunts, and the uncles, the whole crowd, we all just want to go. And you know what? He was an Edomite. He was a, one of these strangers, foreigners that Solomon was talking about. And David said, come on. In fact, I'm looking for some Really good electric guitar players. And I know you are because it was a musician. Because you find out when it's talked about the singers and the musician, guess who was one of them? It's old, old Obed. You see, that's what it was. Listen, I'll leave all this. I will leave all of this if I can just be with that. His presence. Let me go wherever that's at. Just let me be where that's at. Isn't that powerful? Let me be where that's at. If it's on the other side of the world, let me get an airplane and go there and get some
1: and bring it back and put it in this place where people can come here and experience this God who's real and who's not far off in heaven, who's not distant Himself, who's not angry, who has forgiven everybody's sins already. People who haven't even accepted it. He's already said, you're forgiven i sinned and sinned for years and then I found out I'm forgiven.
0: It is big. I mean, God wants to embrace these people and love
1: these people and tell the people the truth about Himself that only He can do in His presence. Because The best of preachers can't really do it justice. The best of them, the ones who've been there themselves, they can't do it justice. Because it's only Him when He speaks to your heart. Everything will change in you. I can speak to your heart for a million years and you may think, that's right. But when He speaks, something happens. And lives are transformed instantly. And never think again the same.
0: And it will ruin your life. It will spoil your life. For anything else. And when you forget it, He will let you watch a television show. And suddenly you remember, Oh no! For a brief moment, I forgot why I was here. But now I remember. You know, I thought about Obed. I'm over time. There was these other guys. I just want to say this. There were these other people. Okay? There was these other people that had the ark before Obed got it. And they had it probably a hundred years. And it never says a word in the Bible about God blessing them.
1: Not a word. I was thinking, why did he bless Obed?
0: Why did he kill Uzzah? Uzzah was one of the people whose family had it. I think it's because of the way they treated it. They were afraid of it. Because after all, he did kill 50,000 people one day that opened it. You know, it sort of speaks of two kinds of people on the earth. People who see God as angry, hurtful, demanding and then there's other people like uh can you th- can you imagine when nobody got that thing home like we got to be really careful about how we deal with this thing because i didn't saw what it would do to you i mean it will electrocute your hide you do not touch that tell the kids don't touch it or they'll get shocked and can you imagine i'm just an imaginary old guy can you imagine the day the kids walked in and saw Obed laid open on that mercy seat, weeping? Dad, what
1: the heck?
0: That thing's going to kill you! No, not really.
1: They just believed it would kill you. That's what they believe in. That's what they got. But I don't believe it will kill you. It will love you.
0: That's what it will do. That's why they call it a mercy seat. That's up there on the top. And that's why I believe when David came and got it, he said, I'm going with it. Y'all want to come? I'm going with it. That's where I'm going. And David led him. David reflected that when he said, i would just be a doorkeeper. If I can just be there in the house where that thing is, the presence of God, just let me be there in the house. I'll tend the door. I'll unlock the door. I'll lock it. I welcome people. I just want to be you want me to clean the toys? If I'm cleaning the toilet, I can be around it. I will do that's the heart that David had. That's the heart Obed had. That's the heart that that's the why that's favor. That's not a heart that we can create, but it is a heart that the favor of God can give us. And the Lord really wants to be everybody in this room's refuge. I'm just going to tell you that. I don't care what your circumstances tell you. I don't care what. He wants to be your refuge. You could have lost the the dearest person to you. You could have lost your babies. You could have lost everything. You could have lost all your money. The Lord's still saying, I want to be your refuge. You can run into me. Because you may lose some things in this world but you can still run into me and I'll do something for you. I'll help you. I'll heal you. I'll nurse you. I will do what I need to do for you, but you're going to let me. And you know what? I mean, this is the truth about loss. I can talk about loss because I have serious loss in my life. Personal, serious loss. Okay? I lost a child. I've been around people in this room they have lost somebody that meant something to them. i walk walked with them through that. Okay? But we can make the Lord our refuge. We can make Him our refuge. We can say, we lost that Lord and we don't like losing it. And it
1: hurts. And it'll hurt the rest of your life. But you can make
0: the Lord your refuge. And I do believe, I believe there's a day coming when, when we will be... We will need a place to be hidden, to be protected, where people that hate us will want to get us. And the Lord says, don't worry, they won't even see you. I'll just tell you this one little story. This guy, I don't remember the details, but he went into a cave to hide. He was escaped, I think, from a, from a, a Nazi prison camp. He went into a cave. They were looking for him. And a spider, which he hated, came and built a web in front of the cave. He was going to kill the spider when he first saw it. And when the people looking for him came to the this is a true story, they came to the cave. He's not in there because of the spider web. God kept him. God hit him. God hit him. God, there's millions of stories out there like that of God doing simple little things for people. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room, God wants to hide you in His heart. He wants to hide you in His heart. No matter what's going on in your life, He wants to hide you in His heart and free you. Just free you and heal you. That's really what He wants. I did lose a baby, but I'm healed. Okay? I still hurt over it, but I'm healed. I still hurt for the loss in this room, people who've lost stuff. I've heard about it. It's it's painful, but I'm healed. Are y'all okay? (laughs) All right, let's just stand up now. Because it's ten minutes after, praise the Lord, (laughs) the preachers went over
2: I had this dream I had the dream and the Lord reminded me of it this morning and I just feel like it just really gave reminded me this morning this picture of the father's house. Um I had this dream and I walked up on this house that was just absolutely beautiful and I realized there was all this commotion going on in the inside and my dad, my actual dad which I really knew was the father, you know, was in there and he had everybody inside getting it ready not just the house but all the furniture everything was just unbelievable but when i walked in the house i walked into this room and there was this huge table and all the the ceiling from top to bottom was glass it was just glass all around you know it was you know you could see straight out and all surrounding was just this beautiful body of water i mean it was just water all surrounding it and then I walked into this one room, and it was like this absolute playroom. It was like every um, video game, every, you know, like if you go into an arcade, it had every arcade game there was possible, you know. It Fill in this room, like this room for us to play. Is this me? Is that me? And then, um, but the thing that really... I felt like the Lord was reminding me this morning that he was just really bringing to memory is when I walked out the house, I turned around and I looked and the Lord was showing me the, the foundation and each brick in the foundation wasn't like, you know, where you go to houses that have uniform brick, you know, it was like each, it was like that tumbled brick, but it wasn't even that because each brick in the foundation was just completely unique like it had just a different brick on each one and there were names on each one of the brick of the foundation. And I knew then the Lord was saying, I am the chief cornerstone, but I am knitting, uh, I am placing. And each one, they were taking care of each brick like This is an important piece here, you know, and I really care about this foundation, you know. And so I just want to encourage you guys that the Father is putting us together. He really is making us a dwelling place. And He cares about every little piece and and He's surrounding us with His presence. He's surrounding us with His water, His living water You know, all surrounding, you know, and he's knitting us together with Jesus, the chief cornerstone. But each one of you is important. Each one of you. And we aren't going to look exactly alike. Well, that's not what we're supposed to. You know, we're supposed to be each one of us the way he's made us. And he's putting us together in this house. He's making us this dwelling place.